0: I may have just been drunk.
1: Oh yeah, your mom did you.
0: Hey, guess what? Shut up. It's time for Up Yours, Downstairs, everybody's favorite recap of Downton Abbey, the show made by Landed British Nobility for Landed British Nobility. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm
1: Tom Schneider. We are married. But it's mostly a green card thing.
0: Yeah, we're U.S. citizens.
1: But we want a green card anyway.
0: Speaking of other countries... Well, were we? Speaking of (laughs) other countries... It turns out that Up Yours Downstairs is a global sensation. I know. We have listeners from 31 different countries. It's
1: true. And we're going to tell you which ones they are.
0: And this list is in order of how popular the podcast is in each given country. So if you would like your home nation to move up on this list, uh, get your friends to download an episode or two. They don't even actually have to listen to it. Yeah,
1: that's true. We have no way of knowing no, if they do. We, we
0: don't even know if you're listening. You could be just some, you know, foreign robot.
1: and listen some of these countries you're not going to do well in the olympics this is your chance for glory Mm -hmm. so do your best on that here is the list and in order of popularity the united states
0: usa (laughs)
1: usa right unsurprisingly canada the united kingdom australia switzerland germany brazil israel new zealand argentina china sweden the philippines chile united arab emirates singapore france hong kong Costa Rica, Guam. Guam! (laughs) Yes, Guam. Mexico, Kenya, Morocco, Serbia, Portugal, Italy, Jersey, Ireland, Hungary, Norway, and the Russian Federation.
0: That's a lot of countries. That is. And we are thrilled to have such an international audience. Absolutely, And we'd love to hear about how some of you who aren't from the U.S. found us. So uh, please send your story to up yours downstairs at gmail.com. And we will share it in a future podcast.
1: Yes, just as we are about to do now with telegrams from the tenants
0: all right so our first telegram comes from mandy who writes i never do this but i felt compelled to participate in your awesome podcast thank you okay my suggestion for ravens from the bannerman which is what boars swords calls letters from their fans her suggestions for the ravens from the bannerman downton remix telegrams from our cousins because it's all about the cousins on this show very true (laughs) The Expositions from the Laura Linneys. (laughs) She says she likes footmen, but she would make it evil footmen. Mm, And Bell's from Upstairs, followed by... eh, So she's not a huge fan of that one. Mandy sent us this telegram... Uh, on January sixteenth, like the day that we premiered this podcast and asked for suggestions, yeah, yeah, uh, and something happened and it went to the wrong email address, and I have to say, I don't know how you feel about it, but I kind of feel like we need to give our tenants an upgrade and make them our cousins.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And- I think
0: it's really snooty and mean of us to call them tenants.
1: I no, it's right. Like, I was- who
0: are we, Baron Julian <laughs> Fellows?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I I couldn't come up with anything better at the time. Well, which
0: is why we tried to make other people do it in the first
1: place. Yes, and thankfully, Mandy did it for us just as we were hoping somebody would.
0: So, Mandy, we hereby dub the cousin mandy that's right and henceforth this section of the show will be referred to as telegrams from our cousins yes so well done mandy yes. thank you so much and wel- for being more creative than us and welcome
1: everybody to the family
0: yes indeed <laughs> okay so moving on to our next letter which is from cousin jackie Who's Tom's actual cousin. Yes. I hope that Cousin Jackie doesn't feel slighted by this upgrade. So I think we should refer to her as the Dowager Cousin Jackie.
1: (laughs) I think that is a great idea.
0: Because she knows what's up at Uncle Mark's on Thanksgiving. (laughs) Cousin Jackie writes with some feedback on episode 2. She says, The whole subplot with Mr. Carson felt really clunky, and I was tempted to write it off completely. However, the confrontation scene in the library where Carson goes all out, in a very Carson way, with his confession and resignation offer and Lord Grantham's, oh, don't be so melodramatic response, <laughs> saved it. Grantham's delivery of that was perfect and hilarious. You are correct as usual, Dowager Cousin Jackie, and true. we uh, we kind of gave short shrift to that scene in our recap, so thank you for uh, picking up the slack. Mm-hmm. She also says... I very much love the dress Edith is wearing when she's snooping through Mary's super secret mail, pretty much right in front of Mary. It's very pretty. Uh, I was too busy looking at her nose, so I don't know what
1: she was wearing. That's <laughs> a fair point. And also a fair point about the fact how she was right out in the open, right behind Mary, who was sitting in front of a mirror. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and also Mary had apparently left the letter on her bed, which, like, right. way to go, moron. Uh,
1: yeah, she kind of deserved yeah, have that little secret revealed.
0: Uh, and cousin Dowager Cousin Jackie finishes up by saying, and Edith, you put the B in subtle, just saying. <laughs> so thank you very much, uh, Dowager Cousin Jackie. I hope you are enjoying your new title. Yes.
1: Uh, we're also doing uh, really well on iTunes, which is exciting. Uh, if you do a search for Downton Abbey Podcast, we are currently second, third, and fourth most popular. We would probably be number one, however... There is an NPR Books podcast that features Downton Abbey and Bill Cosby. And awesome as we we are, we cannot compete with the trifecta of Downton Abbey, Bill Cosby, and NPR.
0: Although we do think it's pretty unethical yeah. to feature a television show and a television star on a podcast that is ostensibly about books. Alright, oh, right, and if either one of those things has a book, it's not a real Book, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So NPR, you can expect a strongly worded email from us sometime soon.
1: Yeah, um, and we also want to give a shout out to uh, Anita, a proud twenty something and Beyonce holic at Downtown er, Downton Beyonce. Uh, Anita says Downton Abbey is fabulous. So is Beyonce. Why not see what happens when we pair them up?
0: Uh, Anita. You're a genius to pair Beyonce lyrics with screen caps from Downton Abbey. And no, Mick was not ready for that jelly. Yeah, she really wasn't. And if you're listening and you have not yet checked out Downton Abbeyonce, we link to it on our Twitter and possibly also on our Facebook, uh, do yourself a favor and go check it out. It mm-hmm. is going to make you laugh your butt off.
1: <laughs> yes. I would now like to introduce a new feature, Woo! our cousin of the week. Yay! Yay! And our cousin of the week this week is Matt, who commented on our Libsyn page, where you can download the, the podcast, uh, left a great iTunes review. Five
0: stars! Yes,
1: and also very well written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he even tweeted at us. Uh, if you want to check out the comment on our Libsyn page or our iTunes review, they're both well worth your time. And as long as you're there, why not leave a little comment yourself?
0: Yeah. Just leave a little comment or give us a five star rating. You yeah. know, and only, it only—it literally only takes a second. It's true. This is so much less involved than those Sarah McLachlan sad puppy commercials. <laughs> it's,
1: it's and it really doesn't true. even
0: cost you anything.
1: Yeah. Oh, and and by the way, I do just want to clarify. As much as we love being praised, anybody that has any constructive criticism to offer, by all means, we're certainly interested to hear it. Construct away. Yeah. And Matt also tweeted at us some great stuff. He, he said. Uh, just come across, just came across five Maggie Smiths, Downton Abbey podcasts, snarky and delightful.
0: We are snarky and Bo- delightful. Both of
1: those things are true. Uh, and he also tweeted to us to suggest that Edwardian goofballs might have been a seven percent cocaine solution injected with a syringe all of which was perfectly legal at the time.
0: Did you just say syringe? I did
1: say syringe. Did
0: you say that on purpose?
1: No, I did not, but I now choose to believe that that is the Edwardian pronunciation. A
0: syringe.
1: (laughs) Carson, fetch me a syringe.
0: (sighs) Anyway, (laughs) if you'd like to be our next cousin of the week, Here's what you should do. Watch the Masterpiece Classic intro uh, on your Netflix. It'll be right after Laura Linney says, (laughs) I'm Laura Linney, and this is Masterpiece Classic. And what we'd like you to do is correctly identify each actor that is featured in that sequence along with their role and the title of the Masterpiece Classic production they were in. Uh, The first person to correctly answer... All of those mm-hmm. will earn the title of Cousin of the Week and receive a special prize.
1: That's true. Uh, so just email that to us at upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com or uh, just DM us on Twitter at 5, that's the number 5, Maggie Smiths.
0: Okay. What an exciting beginning of the show. Yes, it is. I feel I feel good. Are you ready to recap?
1: I am ready to let's, recap.
0: Let's recap.
1: All right. Let's get ready to recap. <laughs> All right, and they are just as excited at Downton Abbey as we are today because the country fair has come into town.
0: As Anna says, it doesn't come often and it doesn't stay long, uh, which could also be a way to describe Mr. Pamuk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is a good point. Anna sees Mary, who is uh, hanging out watching them set up the Wistfully. fair. Wistfully. Wistfully, yes. She's very wistful, as you might expect. So they, they have a little discussion about how upset McGee is about the whole Pamook thing, in which uh, Mary says uh, something about how she will never forget it. It would be engraved on her heart. And uh, when she
0: dies, apparently they're going to cut her open, and on her heart is going to be, My daughter's vagina killed Mr. Pamook. Which, <laughs> right. At that point, like, who's going to care?
1: I, I don't know.
0: Like, not to be a spoiler, but there's going to be two <laughs> world wars probably before this lady kicks in. Yeah. I think that the surgeons and autopsy performers of the future have bigger fish to fry. Yes.
1: I also find Mary's medical knowledge to be a little shaky, but... Um... <laughs>
0: <laughs> She's no cousin Isabel, Tom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is true. And Anna, first of all, just sort of laughs like, oh, yeah, your mom hates you. <laughs> um... And Mary also says that uh, she doesn't have a heart, to which Anna does not agree. Apparently, because Anna's very nice mm-hmm. and maybe uh, maybe
0: Mary's a Terminator. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Yeah, she'd be like, "I'll be back,
1: cousin Matthew." I mean, she is tall and unfeeling. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think we may be onto something there.
0: The next scene is Lord Grantham meeting his new chauffeur who you may recognize as the adorable Agrippa from the HBO series Rome. But here he is, the new chauffeur named Branson. We learned that he disliked his previous job because his employer was an elderly woman who only had one car and would not permit him to drive it over 20 miles per hour. And uh, so clearly Branson's a young man who likes to, uh, you know, put the pedal to the metal.
1: (laughs) He, He does. Which,
0: at this point, is actually possible.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I think mm-hmm. those cars you put the pedal to the metal you get up to like 35 mm-hmm. miles an hour I would imagine.
0: Yeah. Uh, he loves books. He's meeting Lord Grantham in the library and Lord Grantham informs him that he is permitted to borrow books and Lord Grantham's my like, whole thing is like oh, well, you're free to borrow some books if you can read.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> He's very surprised and he asks uh, what sort of books he likes and uh, Branson says that he likes history and politics and Lord <laughs> Grantham looks like he just sharted a little bit <laughs> in shock.
1: Like, he says, "Heavens,
0: yes." <laughs> he's like, even I'm not interested in those things <laughs> like, and I sit in Parliament.
1: Yeah, he, he had just suggested that, that Hughes and Carson would occasionally borrow a novel or two. Mm-hmm. That's it was like that was all I was. Is doing. that like
0: per year? <laughs> I don't when they would have time to well, read yeah but anyway yeah. uh so um, yeah so he's allowed to borrow books and uh and and good for him mm-hmm.
1: uh and then we, we do get a little exposition about why all of a sudden there's a new chauffeur. yes because if you
0: remember taylor yes. was the chauffeur previously
1: yes who lord Grantham and i don't exactly know why it just says a oh, poor old taylor and <laughs> that's that's sort of it they do apparently has gone off to run a tea shop hmm um, Which,
0: Carson would rather die than run a tea shop, so it's like, is that, like, code <laughs> for, like, opium death? Like, good right. lord.
1: Or maybe that's, like, maybe that's like a male brothel. I don't know what a female brothel would be.
0: Bordello at this time. They were all well, about appropriating French words.
1: Yeah, that's true. But in any case, whatever it is, Taylor's doing it, and they feel sorry for him. Uh, but, you know, make way for Branson. <laughs>
0: I want to see that a children's book, like make way for ducklings, <laughs> yeah. but just make way for Branson.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Since that's his first scene, we can't really elaborate on what would be involved. Yeah, but no, prom- I promise I right. promise it would be fantastic.
1: <laughs> yes. Stay tuned on that one. Then we see that uh, McG and the Dowager Countess are having tea outside, just kind of a half mile away from the house, just sort of sitting out there. You know, I mean, because I guess it's that what's, that's what you do if you have a giant estate, is sometimes just go sit in random parts of it so you feel like it's not being wasted. Yeah,
0: we have a big apartment, so sometimes I just go sit in the hall. <laughs> you know, like, we're paying for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're very thrifty. And they're discussing, as usual, the uh, Mary's unresolved situation, which, of course, has been completely resolved since the beginning of the series. Yeah, they're I mean, I can't reasons.
0: believe we're still having this discussion. <laughs> right. Like first episode we were like well that's it mary you know she can't she can't have it let's like move forward with her but nope
1: yeah there's also a scene in which uh, a moment in which McGee suggests that she might send mary off to live with some relatives in new york and maggie smith is like oh i don't think things have come to that pass yet
0: yeah she says they're not quite that desperate yet mm, yes oh uh, yeah. yeah look i live in america and i wouldn't come here <laughs> if i didn't have to live here yes
1: New York and America always mentioned with horror mm-hmm. in *Downton Abbey*—the
0: height of gothness.
1: Yes, but yes. Yeah, so they're they're still trying to find a way to get this entailment taken care of. And
0: Maggie Smith might know just the honourable lawyer to take a look at this situation.
1: Indeed, whoever could it be?
0: Cut to <laughs> Matthew and Mom Crawley's establishment. Yes, Mom. I guess I'm calling her Mom now.
1: As well, you should.
0: Uh, Mom notices that <laughs> Molesley, the erstwhile butler slash valet, has a pretty nasty rash on his hands, and she diagnoses him with erysipelas, yes. which sounds like the name of a Greek playwright to me. <laughs>
1: uh, but is not. It is It is a bacterial infection of the skin.
0: Is it like a staph infection?
1: Uh, I mean, I think, you know, in the sense that they're both caused by bacteria, yeah. Mm. But I think it's just sort of a, you know, it's just a rash that's caused by a bacteria, basically. Well, regardless gross it is gross on that all authorities are agreed and uh i'll just recommend something all to all the cousins out there don't look up the wikipedia page on erysipelas just yeah just just, just take don't. our
0: word for that it's unpleasant <laughs> i didn't look tom tried to make me look at it but i wouldn't do it so <laughs> yeah.
1: so uh just a, a helpful hint for all of you out there so yeah she diagnoses with erysipelas and uh we'll see how that goes <laughs> Um, she just can't stop nursing She's just She's got She's
0: addicted to nursing She, she is Might she, as well face that jove, addicted to nursing Yes Doesn't quite scam
1: oh, No it doesn't So then we're uh, down in the uh, servant's dining room Got Anna who was uh, dabbing her nose a little bit As if it's sniffly And uh, Mrs. Patmore flips out She does not want anybody with a cold in her kitchen which is, uh, you know, wise. Uh, I just didn't quite think they were there yet. Sort of. I didn't either. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Cooks seem like they might have some, like, folk wisdom about that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Had soap been invented at this point?
1: I, I think so. Okay. I mean, they had some idea about... Like, Germs. Antisepsis, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, regardless, she thinks Anna's sick and she wants him, she wants her out of there.
1: Yes. Yeah, Her she sniffles and, I think, coughs at one point, and uh, Mrs. Patmore... Herself, a bit of an amateur nurse, diagnoses her as having minutes to live, mm-hmm. which uh, may not turn out to be correct. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> and uh, Mrs. Hughes, Mrs. Hughes, excuse me, tells uh, Anna to go up to bed and says that she will bring her a Beecham's powder,
0: which was a popular medicine of the day, which was purchased by like Bayer or something. Anna also asks him to see before she's banished from the kitchen if the servants may go to the fair that evening. Yes. So they, they want to go to the fair, but they apparently have to ask permission from like 70 different people <laughs> right. before they're actually allowed to go. Yes.
1: Well, and also, in, I mean, because as we're seeing in this scene, there is kind of divided authority downstairs, and uh, Missus Hughes uh, is going to be going herself.
0: Mm-hmm. She is. She has the night off.
1: Yes, and is uh, is basically going around in these scenes and trying to get somebody to say that they're going to miss her and need her to stay, but none of them. Well, Missus Padmore is almost yeah. offended that the She's idea. She's like,
0: uh, "I'm cooking for His Lordship, Her Ladyship, and the girls. No one's staying. No one's coming to visit. Seriously." Fuck off.
1: Yeah. So Mrs. Patmore thinks everything's going to be fine.
0: Then we uh, cut back to Mom barging into the hospital. She demands to be led into the doctor's store cupboard. And she prescribes Molesley a tincture of silver and a salve to help his hands. And she tells him that he needs to wear gloves at all times he doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want to look like a footman waiting on them at dinner which I'm kind of like uh, who comes to have dinner at your house I, nobody you know, but look he'll know it's understandable yeah
1: I mean status is just as important to him as it is to anybody to any of the Crawleys, mm-hmm. you know so it, it matters to him but I, I was struck yeah I think it was tincture of silver and, and then something of steel um, I believe it's the same prescription they used to turn Logan into Wolverine <laughs> If if I'm remembering that correctly.
0: So what you're saying is that we can look forward to Moseley starting to smoke cigars and try to have sex with Jean Grey.
1: I, wow, I, we can only pray mm-hmm. that this is how things turn out. So then we, we cut to N.C. He's uh, hanging out in his office or whatever he does. At a
0: scandalous office!
1: <laughs> yes. And it's announced that Lady Crawley has come to visit, and he is oh so excited.
0: He's all stoked to see Cousin Cora, but then, oh my god, it's the Dowager Countess!
1: Yes, who says that, I hope I'm not a disappointment. (laughs) As if. Yeah. Maggie Smith, never a disappointment. Ever. Yeah.
0: Then we get back down to the servants' quarters, and Mrs. Hughes is trying to fancy up her hat for her night out. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's asking for tips from O'Brien, because presumably O'Brien is responsible for maintaining Lady Grantham's hat wear and probably a little bit more up on you know current fashions. Yeah, she's pretty than... much the,
1: the resident expert mm-hmm. on ladies' fashion.
0: And O'Brien is predictably a bitch about it. <laughs> yeah. And since Anna's sick, Mrs. Hughes informs her that she is going to have to see to the young ladies that day, uh, as well as help... McG, get ready. Right. O'Brien helpfully announces that she's not an octopus.
1: Yeah. Which I I have to say, not 100% sure that's true. <laughs> I mean, those bangs? <laughs> yeah. They look kind of mollusky. She, she may actually be an octopus. So that's that's something I'm keeping my eye on. Uh,
0: anyway, so she's very upset to have to, like, do anything else. And she's she asks why Gwen can't help the ladies get ready Mm -hmm. and mrs hughes says because gwen is not a ladies maid right because if a non-ladies maid had to perform ladies maid type duties once again walls would crumble rivers would dry up (laughs) and the queen would just die on the spot right or the king
1: or the king as the case might be whatever
0: they happened to (laughs) to have at the time
1: (laughs) yes it's now time for us to learn a little bit about hats for ourselves uh, and for that, we're going to turn to our own resident expert on ladies' fashion, Ms. Kelly Anakin, for a segment that we like to call Fashion Backwards.
0: All right. So early in the Edwardian era, uh, sort of around the turn of the century, women's hats were much larger and they were much more heavily decorated than late period Edwardian hats, which is pretty consistent with what we're seeing in this episode of Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. It's a very hat-heavy episode. Because we see a lot of people leaving the house, you know, we start out and Gwen and Anna and Mr. Bates are all kind of watching the fair get set up and the ladies are all wearing hats. Mary's wearing a hat. I think the Dowager Countess is nearly always wearing a hat because Mm -hmm. we always see her kind of coming or going. Mm -hmm. And you had to wear a hat uh, to be considered respectable. At this time period, regardless of your social standing, Mm -hmm. Uh, it was vital that you had, you know, your head covering when you left the house.
1: Yeah, I did notice that in the very first scene with the the three of them, Anna and Gwen and Mary, all with Mm -hmm. their hats in a row.
0: Yep. And uh, we see in the Dowager Countess's hats, they're much more ornate and they're taller than the hats worn by the other aristocratic women which is reflective of the taller picture-style hat that was popular in the 1900s. Hmm. Also popular was the gargantuan Mary Widow hat. Oh, my. Uh, it was just, I mean, it was just enormous. People, You know, they would have to kind of build up the hair. It's similar if you've ever seen the movie Amadeus. Oh. Uh, it's sort of the equivalent for hats of what you see going on with the hair. I mean, they would have stuffed birds that their husbands had shot and, you know, put them in these hats and feathers and flowers. In fact, feathers were so popular that certain breeds of bird, they had to limit, you know, the hunting and harvesting of feathers from them. Wow. And these hats were so ornate and had so much wildlife on, and they were kept in special trunks that were commonly referred to as Noah's arcs. <laughs> um, and we also see in Cousin Isabel's hats they are much smaller uh, in the brim and the crown, which is pretty standard with the evolution of hats through the late Edwardian, some people would call post Edwardian phase, mm-hmm. uh, prior to World War One. But she does still tend to have more decoration on her hats than even Mcgee or the Young Crawley ladies. So there's sort of a generation gap in the approach to headwear. Uh-huh. Because having a really ornate decorated hat like that was a huge social status symbol. Uh, the more crap you could put on <laughs> your head, the richer and more well-off you were. I mean, if you can afford to buy all this frippery, you're obviously not hurting for money. Yeah. Um, and during this period, turbans and all things oriental were a big, big fad. This really kind of got kickstarted uh in 1907, I think, with the prominent designer Paul Poirot. <laughs> he actually started a trend for concealing hair under hats with his Maharaja turban. Poirot was also a designer of harem pants and Japanese-inspired kimonos, and he was notable for basically ditching corsets in his designs. Uh, So the trend that you're going to see during the jazz age and the roaring 20s of women going without corsets, Mm -hmm. um, he was a big proponent and was a very influential designer. So he is at least partially responsible for the changes in underwear. You also see a huge popularity rise for bandeaus, which are basically headbands. They were sometimes called headache bands because the pressure they exerted on the forehead was believed to prevent or relieve headaches, which is ridiculous oh, yeah. because if you've ever worn a headband, you know <laughs> that headbands cause headaches.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, early in the 1910s, they were very simple. They were just crocheted and accented with ribbon and lace. But as we move into the 1920s and 30s, you see more ornate and dramatic fabrics and they're decorated with feathers. Much more similar to what you see American flappers wearing on shows like Boardwalk Empire or oh, okay. in the upcoming Great Gatsby movie. Uh, and again, uh, Paul Poirot was a couturier who was responsible for popularizing this look. Mm big thanks to edwardianpromenade.com, yourvintagewedding.com, fashion-era.com, and Wikipedia for having a wealth of knowledge on the subject of Edwardian hats and other headwear. I do want to say it's really difficult to find reliable sources that focus on fashion trends below stairs. So if any of you cousins out there have a tip on where to find more info on lower class couture such as it is, Mm -hmm. uh, please email me with the subject line, fashion backwards. You know, even if it's a book and not a website, it's very hard to kind of find more information. I mean, obviously it's not as, as beautiful or interesting as what the upper classes were wearing, but I'm just kind of curious how all these trends trickle down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's not really explored very heavily on Downton Abbey. So, yeah. So thanks, you know, help, a help a cousin out. if You are so inclined (laughs)
1: Yes, please do.
0: And that has been Fashion Backwards.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much. Back to the show. So we we now see the meeting that the Dowager Countess and MC are having. And yes, in fact, he is the lawyer she had in mind.
0: Which, duh. Yeah. (laughs) I don't remember if I actually said this on the podcast. I may have just been drunk, you know, during off hours. (laughs) But I was just like, why don't they just ask Matthew? He's a chump and a lawyer.
1: Yes. And thankfully, Maggie Smith as we all should have expected, has come through with, uh, to, mm-hmm. to deliver on that plan. She says she just wants to know the exact terms of the entail. Which,
0: again, I thought we had pretty well covered, but... <laughs> I mean, I guess it's not out of the question, to think, that Lord Grantham is just not telling them the details, because I don't think we've had a scene where he... You know, we see him with Murray in the first uh, episode... But, you know, right, and, just... and McG was so upset because she wasn't present for the conversation. So yeah. it's either that he's deliberately kind of hiding this information from them or he's foolishly assuming that they can't understand the intricacies of the law. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess I don't blame Maggie Smith for just being like, can you just point by point, please spell this out for me and tell me why my granddaughter is getting screwed?
1: Yeah. But in any case, and, and regardless, even if we are a little tired of this uh, particular plot line, the scene is certainly redeemed by a little <laughs> physical comedy. Um, Maggie Smith almost falls out of her chair and says, what is this that I'm sitting in?
0: And it is a swivel chair, which he thinks must be some sort of modern contraption. <laughs> right. And
1: Matthew informs her. That I, that was, in fact, invented by Thomas Jefferson.
0: To which Maggie Smith replies, Why does every day involve a fight with an American? <laughs> and Maggie Smith, I wondered that every day <laughs> of my life.
1: <laughs> it's true. She says it to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but and, and what's great about that, too, is that then uh, Ma- Matthew, of course, offers to get her a different chair. And One that doesn't move. <laughs> oh, right. And she says, No, no, it's fine. I'm... A, I'm i'm a good sailor i'm a good
0: sailor yes on the good ship maggie smith
1: yes which is again what is so excellent about her she is baffled by new things but she adapts as long as she knows that her chair is supposed to be that way she'll live with it Mm -hmm. she can handle it
0: then we cut back to the servants dining hall and uh william asks bates if he knows if daisy is going to the fair kind of You know, continuing this little flirtation that we've seen William trying to uh, kickstart in earlier episodes. Mm -hmm. And Bates suggests that he ask her because she needs to be taken out of herself. Apparently, Daisy's been a little bit down because of the death of poor Mr.
1: Pamuk. Yes. Uh,
0: And we know, of course, that it is because she saw his body being ferried. (laughs) Back to his room by the lady of the house, Lady Mary and Anna.
1: Right. And can do nothing about that fact.
0: Uh, Bates makes a suggestion to William in front of Thomas, who in true bastard fashion, as soon as Daisy comes in the room, William starts to ask her. And like, William's not hesitating. Right. Like, this is not not a situation where he's dragging his feet. Mm -hmm. He says, Daisy, I was wondering. And Thomas just goes, Daisy, would you like to go to the fair with me? And then Daisy just, oh, my God, it looks like somebody blew marijuana in her face. Like, she just...
1: (laughs) Well, whatever it is that happens, she likes it. She's she's
0: thrilled. I mean, she's just thrilled. thrilled. Awestruck. And just, you know, you really have to hand it to the actress who plays her. I think her name is Sophie McRae.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, I mean, she just she just does such a wonderful job with her facial expressions. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's such a nothing character in so many it ways. It is.
1: Well, and she does just as great job because it's difficult to do a character that's not as smart as the other characters. Mm-hmm. But still just as, like, alive and has just as... Yeah, I mean, yeah, and she... And, and I think like that's that. the difference
0: between her and the guy who plays William. The guy who plays William does okay, mm-hmm. but I feel like we see him playing at being dumb. Yeah. Whereas she's kind of just inhabiting it and saying, yeah. if I was this dumb, <laughs> how would I do it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, so well done, Sophie. You are fabulous. <laughs> McGee is walking with Sybil and with Edith. It's not really clear where they are. They might be out by the fairground, but
1: yeah, they're well. They were they're getting in a car. Yeah,
0: they're getting in a car driven by Branson.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but regardless, the point is that McGee informs Sybil that she needs to go see the, her dressmaker in Ripon, uh, and she needs to get a new frock. Edith is a little upset because she wants a new frock. Apparently, uh, but it is Sybil's turn, which I thought was a nice detail that even though they do have money, the girls have to wait in turn to get their their yeah. dresses yeah. made. Uh, which I think reflects well on their family. Yeah, you know, they're not no, they're not that's... spending money hand over fist. Mm-hmm. They're trying to be as responsible as possible. Yeah, yeah. And McGee's very concerned because Granny has invited herself to dinner. And they are barely going to have a moment to change into their evening wear. Mm-hmm. And Civil, in one of my favorite line readings of this episode, says, Well, she could jolly well wait. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> are we in a Dickens play all of a sudden? Like, what is going on? Yeah.
1: Also, Maggie Smith waits for no man.
0: Yeah. Anyway, uh, but then Mick G snarkily replies, Oh, women's rights begin at home. And we see Branson kind of go...
1: Oh! <laughs> women's rights. Hey? Women's
0: rights. Meow. <laughs> you know what that means. <laughs> no, you don't.
1: No, actually. Not at <gasps> all. Well. Uh, so then uh, we, we cut to the Carson Cave. The Carson Cave!
0: Carson!
1: Yes. And we have a little brief uh, episode in Charlie Carson and the mystery of the missing wine. <laughs> uh, there is, they're supposed to, according to the wine book, the ledger book that they track their wine in, they should have six cases of whatever wine he's looking at, but he can only find four.
0: But Mrs. Hughes doesn't really care because she's waking out about her day off. Yes. Which, look, if you've ever worked in retail... <laughs> Whether in a managerial capacity or you've just kind of been around long enough to understand how things work, you never really get a day off. I mean, you know, and even when you're not there, you're like, oh, my God, is Gail going to process a return incorrectly again and then call me? (laughs) And we have to, like, have this whole 20-minute conversation when it would be quicker for me to drive there. Anyway. The point is, I understand what Mrs. Hughes is going through. Here.
1: Yeah, and you know, she just, you know, and, and nobody can call her. So in her mind, she's just going to go have her day off, and, and then come just back return just to steaming rubble, shooting
0: out of. Yeah, yeah. just it's all just going to be gone. <laughs> and the, and
1: the family going, where were you, Mrs. Hughes?
0: <laughs> if they haven't all died, well, yeah, either way. Then we see uh, Mary and Matthew are at the fair at the Coconut Saloon.
1: I, which I would love to open up a bar called the Coconut Saloon.
0: Have fun with that.
1: <laughs> uh, I'll apply for my liquor license. And
0: uh, they've just met, you know, they, they met by chance. It wasn't like they had a prearranged meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matthew informs Mary that Granny came to see him. And Mary's all, oh, was it part of the great matter? And she gets <laughs> very, very uh, snippy about yes. that. And um, he he kind of, like, doesn't
1: answer her. Yeah. Which is kind of rude. Yeah. Uh, also, come on. There's only one thing that Granny talks about. That's, yeah. No, it's not a secret.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. Let's talk about money. <laughs> uh, and Mary asks uh, if he's enjoying his new life. He says he supposes so. And, like, Mary just, like, goes on this, like, swan... Performance of, how oh, you know, you shouldn't listen to anything I say. You should forget everything I say. Everyone else seems to. And she's just, like, one gas oven away from pulling a Sylvia Plath <laughs> here. It's just like, <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, then we cut back to the uh, servant's dining room where, guess what? Things are falling apart without... What? See? Carson has forgotten to put the wine on ice or some such thing. And yeah. He, everybody's just running around. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: they 've all joined Mrs. Patmore in her chorus <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> despite all the uh, kerfuffle, the servants are still pushing there. Can we go to the fair plan mm-hmm.
0: and um, Carson finally gives in, yeah, and uh, Thomas continues to flirt with Daisy and embarrassing william <laughs> yes. he, like he catches a, a tray that she drops, and he like compliments himself on his agility. It's gross.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, well,
0: and everyone but Daisy is like, seriously, dude. Yeah. Whereas, stop.
1: She and she says that he could be a sportsman. And Mrs. Padmore like, "What sport did you have in mind?"
0: Daisy's at a loss. Yeah. She's aware that there is something <laughs> called
1: sports, <laughs> right? But
0: she's not aware of what that actually well, is. Well, I mean,
1: how, unless they played sports in the kitchen, mm-hmm. there's no way she could ever have seen any True.
0: True. And I can't imagine that uh, Thomas engages in too many games of hide the sausage down there. (laughs) So, (laughs) yes, we cut to Mary descending the stairs with Lord Grantham and his dog, Pharaoh, I believe, I believe Pharaoh is the dog's name. And she tells him that Matthew is coming to see him after dinner that night. And Lord Grantham wants her to keep Matthew away from the Dowager Countess. And she's like, oh, you know, I'd like to see you try to do that. Yeah.
1: Dowager Countess does what she wants. Um, <laughs> and Matthew comes in and, and sees the ladies uh, going through, uh, once again, in their orderly uh, procession. Uh, they're having a discussion about Sybil who wants to go to a real school and learn a profession, mm-hmm. uh, which is apparently the sort of thing they do in America. Uh, Uh, Yes,
0: McGee informs us that things are different in America. (laughs) Which, like, they're not that
1: different, you weirdo. (laughs) Yes.
0: Like, nobody's like, oh, yeah, let's send our daughter to school. That's a great investment of our money.
1: (laughs) Yes, and then they also speculate that in America people live in wigwams, Mm -hmm. uh, which is actually true. We're we're podcasting from inside our wigwam right now. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah, so while they're bantering about America mary sees that matthew has come in matthew has somehow come in undetected right which is
1: weird yeah Um,
0: i don't know if they just don't lock their door or what they do but anyway he's managed to sneak in yeah and then mary sneaks him into the library yes so so far the (laughs) keep the dowager countess away from matthew plan is going off without a hitch yes
1: and we're confident that it will continue um no we're not so then uh, we, we find out what uh, Mrs. Hughes is doing with her day off. And we also find out that Mrs. Hughes' name is Elsie. Because- Poor Mrs.
0: Hughes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. Because she is meeting a man. Uh- <gasps> a man? <laughs> yes, a man. Uh, of About her age and social status who mm. calls her Elsie. And he goes by the moniker of Joe Burns. That's right. Joe Burns. So you, I, I feel like you already know everything you need to know about <laughs> joe burns it's true yeah
0: he's got a mustache nothing as cool as murray's mustache right and a hat so yeah <laughs> yeah that's right. joe burns for you yes then we've got uh matthew talking to lord grantham about the entail and they're both uh talking about it apparently <laughs> i don't know all i wrote down is matthew and lg <laughs> uh, right. so they're uh. doing some male talking
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matthew informs Lord Grantham that, as expected, he's looked into it, and indeed there's nothing to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, he
0: is concerned about what to tell the Dowager Countess. Right. Because, you know, regardless of whose favor the entail is in, you don't want to be on the wrong side of a Dowager Countess tongue lashing.
1: Yes. And the, the other thing that's accomplished there is that we do get Matthew talking a little bit about Mary again, and like, oh, what will she think? Mm-hmm. You know, again, making it clear that the slowest relationship ever is still continuing to slow. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, Mrs. Hughes and Joe Burns are in a pub, which all we know about it is that it offers pale ale because that's what we see on the window mm. as we look in on them.
0: I would like some pale ale.
1: I would as well. <laughs> Join us for the after party. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the <laughs> <laughs> 711. Cuz we're so classy. <laughs> yes. That is not a joke. <laughs> Um, but they're they're catching up
0: he he had had a wife and she had passed on Mm -hmm. Uh, they had had a son uh, who he had planned to take in uh, as a partner on his farm But his son uh, chose to join the army, Yeah, which surprises Mrs. Hughes to the point where I believe she says, well, I never.
1: I I think you're right.
0: I'm like, you know, people do join the army. Yes. I mean, and look, bad call on your son's part, Joe Burns. Right. Really bad call. But
1: on the other hand, like life on a Yorkshire farm, I imagine, isn't the happiest of existences either. So
0: Yeah, it's probably better than the oncoming
1: world war. (laughs) Probably, yes. Uh, but in um, any case, he asks her about herself and uh, notices that she calls herself Mrs. Because
0: all cooks and housekeepers are Mrs. Yes. And she said he knows as well as anyone. She hasn't changed her name. And I'm, like, grinning like an idiot right now because I love Mrs. Hughes so yes. much. I think we finally gotten to the bottom of who my absolute favorite character is. And yeah. I think it's Mrs. Hughes. Yeah.
1: I mean, and this is just a fabulous highlight episode for mm-hmm. her as well. She's so great in it.
0: And, you know, uh, she says, you know, she hasn't traveled. You know, she's been working in a great house. Mm-hmm. But she's seen a bit of life, no mistake.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which
0: is just, I don't know, I like, I like the, her phrasing of it. And just her facial expression is so animated and so invested.
1: Mm-hmm. But, and also, I'm not sure if we established this, but in the talk about her being called Mrs., he points out that she didn't she refused to change her name to Burns mm-hmm. when she had the chance. So
0: not only is this just a dude, he was her dude.
1: Yes. For he, a while. He once proposed to her and she turned him down. We've we've learned.
0: We cut back to the servants' dining hall where O'Brien is bitching out Branson for eating with the other servants. Typically the chauffeur eats in his own cottage. Which I kind of have to wonder, why does the chauffeur forget his own cottage? He arguably <laughs> has the least to do of everybody. Yeah. And I get that well, most of them need to be in proximity.
1: Well, and I assume that it's just a holdover because he just took over the role that the, like, coachman would have formerly had. That's
0: true. And, and they would have had a to lot sleep more over to the
1: horses. Yeah, yeah. you gotta, gotta keep an eye on the horses and everything. Um, anyway, You know, forgetting also the fact that the reason Taylor never ate with them was because they didn't want to pay a guy to have lines mm-hmm. uh, until they figured out who they wanted their chauffeur to be.
0: <laughs> Bates is sitting there with them and he's sorting through uh, Lord Grantham's old collars, uh, getting rid of the ones that are at an end. Yes. Which... What does that mean?
1: Uh, You know how collars are. I
0: do not. I don't even iron. So (laughs) I'm really not sure. Yes. Uh, Branson asks what happens to Lord Grantham's old clothes. And uh, Mr. Bates says that he gets some of them, but most of them go in a missionary barrel off to the Heathen Lands. And O'Brien is really... God, she's just really snippy this whole episode because obviously she's been pressed into service yes. where she feels it's beneath her.
1: And she's very cranky about um,
0: it. But she says, Clothes are a valet's perk, not a chauffeur's. <laughs> meaning that Branson is not entitled to any of Lord Grantham's old clothes. Yeah. Because obviously he's not asking out of any curiosity, but only <laughs> out of a desire for personal gain. Well,
1: he's already shown the infernal gall to sit near O'Brien. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you see the problem there.
0: Uh, anyway, Branson outspokenly announces that he knows that it's it's meant to be a kind gesture, but he thinks that uh, helping the needy, you know, can be done a lot better uh, in other ways than sending fancy clothes down to the equator, <laughs> right. which Bates finds hilarious. Yes. I will say, as dour as Bates is, and as much as we kind of rag on him, he does have an excellent sense of humor. Yeah. Anytime He's- anyone who's not Thomas makes a joke, <laughs> he laughs. You know, as much as a British person is allowed to laugh in (laughs) his situation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anna is still sick in bed, and O'Brien is very upset that she has to miss the fair and do a bunch of, like, mending and stuff because Anna is sick in bed.
1: Right. And Which, uh, like, you know,
0: she probably could, like, do the mending in bed. Like, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm yeah. just saying. Well, I mean,
1: it's one of those things. Anybody be in a bad mood to have to cov- have to cover somebody's shift like that.
0: And miss the fair. Yeah. That's the only thing I sympathize with her. Yeah. Because as we've discussed, fair doesn't come often and it doesn't <laughs> stay long.
1: That is correct. Just
0: like that guy Thomas was in love with. Yeah. The young Duke of Crowborough. <laughs>
1: Oh, Crowborough. So we head back upstairs to the uh, fancy dinner party. and Well, Ma- they're,
0: they're, they're through to the sitting room, the yes, ladies they're,
1: are. Yes, it's after dinner. And the Dowager Countess wants to know where Lord Grantham is. And Carson says that he is in the library with... And Mary does an excellent job, by the way. Cuts him off almost before he starts to say with. Mm-hmm. And
0: Knowing, as we all must, that Carson is the worst liar in the world.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. But, you know, despite Mary's heroic efforts, Maggie Smith, Nobody's Fool, picks up that something was being cut off, and she directly asks Carson, and he is forced to admit that Mr. Crawley is uh, in in the library with Lord Grantham.
0: Mr. Crawley, in the library, <laughs> with the entail!
1: <laughs> yes. So then we cut to the library, where, as... as we were informed Lord Grantham and, and Matthew are talking.
0: And their conversation has not progressed any farther than Matthew asking once again, What am I to tell Cousin Violet? Which, like, you've been in there for like a half an hour. Yes. Maggie Smith commented that if Robert has been drinking uh, port all by himself, he would be under the table at this point. So. Yes.
1: But uh, they're, they're still talking about. Yeah, and
0: Lord Grantham assures Matthew that he can handle his mother. Cue <laughs> Maggie Smith to come in and say, Really? because obviously he can't yes so she comes in and and rails a little bit about the whole you know entail business and all that
1: and once again shows that nobody should try to fool maggie smith because it ain't gonna
0: she will she knows she knows when you are sleeping she knows when you're awake she knows if you've been bad or good so just shut up for goodness sake (laughs) then we cut to anna peacefully reading and recuperating in bed mm-hmm. uh, she hears a knock at a door not her door it is the door between the men's right. quarters and the women's quarters yes and it's mr bates and he wants her to open that door which she reminds him can only be opened by mrs hughes and as we know the young duke of Proborough. <laughs> right but mr bates finally convinces her and he has brought her a tray with flowers and they're very cute. Uh, but they hear something and so they have to shut the door and you know, run away and pretend like that never happened.
1: Yeah. But main point of that scene, super cute.
0: Very, very cute.
1: Yeah. We now see uh, the Dowager Countess making her exit. She is headed out to the car with, with uh, for Branson to drive her away. She is... Quite upset. She
0: is spitting nails. Yes. Like, we've never seen her in high dudgeon like this.
1: Yeah. Like, like, she's really... As
0: mad as we thought we've seen her before, she it's... is just enraged.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's really angry, as al- as always, about that entail and about that he is making no effort to protect Mary, basically. Mm-hmm.
0: She accuses him of being happy that Mary is going to be disinherited. Mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. uh, But anyway, so she basically then gets into the car and drives off more or less without saying goodbye. Yes. And Lord Grantham announces to Carson that he is just worn out.
1: Having Mm -hmm. failed to handle Cousin Violet. Mm
0: -hmm. Basically, having failed to really do anything. (laughs) Like, I don't understand what he's so tired about. (laughs) Uh, so he tells Carson that he's going to bed and, you know, just to convey that to Mary and Matthew. And Carson asks if he should tell them now. And Lord Grantham tells him to wait until they ring. Yes. So,
1: hmm. Yeah. Looks
0: like this glacier of a relationship <laughs> might be getting a little nudge. <laughs>
1: yeah. So down at the fair, which is now in full swing. Mm-hmm.
0: Fire eaters and everything.
1: Yeah. Joe Burns is uh, playing a ring toss game, showing off for Mrs. Hughes, mm-hmm. which is also very, very cute. Yes. Just great and wonderful. Um, she
0: says she needs to go home because this is late for her. <laughs> uh, and he says that he, he has to win her a prize. Yes.
1: Yes. And he does. He does. Despite the fact that it was surely a rigged game, he does manage to uh, win a, a little doll. It
0: looks like a scarecrow.
1: Okay. Would that be a Cupid doll? I've never.
0: No, I believe a Cupid doll. Cupid dolls are kind of like baby dolls. Oh, uh, okay. Unless there's an earlier permutation that just kind of meant like any doll, but a Cupid doll has like a little spit curl and a weird face. Oh, wow.
1: Well, yeah, it's just a phrase I've heard. All right. So, and, and, you know, he's asking her what'll happen to her when she retires. And this
0: is interesting because we find out she'll just stay at Downton mm-hmm. and, you know, they will provide for her, which I wasn't aware that that, that was on the table. Right, um, right. And Joe Burns is kind of skeptical. He's, he's wondering what will happen if they sell the estate or, you know, any mm-hmm. such thing. Right. And again, because she's my favorite, <laughs> Mrs. Hughes says... What if there's a tidal wave? What if we all die of the plague? What if there's a war? And we're all like, <laughs> oh,
1: how droll. Yeah. But, you
0: know, she's very zen about it.
1: Yeah. And I, and, be- I mean, it's, you can't predict everything. No, you yeah. can't. Yeah.
0: The other servants are spying on her, and she is either doing a really great job of pretending not to notice <laughs> that, or she genuinely doesn't see them. hmm William basically tells Daisy that Thomas
1: sucks. Right. Which, you know, certainly true. Yeah, But
0: Daisy is not happy and she tells him to go on then, which I guess is the Edwardian equivalent of saying to fuck off (laughs) because William does indeed then fuck off. (laughs) Uh, Gwen is with him and she tries to get William to come back, but he's pretty steamed. So he just,
1: you know, he's gone. Yeah, And I mean, I just, I had to write down at this point that in Daisy's defense through all of this. Thomas is way cuter than William. Oh, physically? Like, oh, my God. Oh,
0: come on. It's not oh, even close. Oh, look. It would be a whole... Look, I mean, apart from the fact that he's gay... Right.
1: He's a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> right. Apart from being evil and gay, <laughs> he's fantastic.
0: Those two things are not related. Right. Though Julian Fellows would clearly have you believe otherwise. <laughs> right. Anyway, you know, he's just... I'm sure he'd be a very skilled lover... I'm sure it would be great for about four days.
1: I mean, for a whole uh, London season, apparently. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But anyway, Daisy clearly is not as up on Thomas' character as everyone else (laughs) on this show.
1: She's got Thomas fever. She does. What are you going to (laughs) do? So then we, we cut back to Joe Burns and Mrs. Hughes, and Joe Burns is... In fact, the purpose for his visit is to ask Mrs. Hughes to marry him again. And
0: I don't think he explicitly states it but it's very clear that
1: right i think they both understand Mm -hmm. that you know he's very happy just to meet her and catch up with Mm -hmm. her but the reason he made the trip was to propose marriage Mm -hmm.
0: now he's you know he's lonely his wife's been gone for three years and his son's gone so he's he's basically all on his own so he's uh he's very lonely yeah it's it's very sad
1: yes he says he will wait at the pub for her answer and to take as long as she wants, that he'd rather wait a week for the right answer than uh, have her rush the wrong one. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and so she walks away looking very happy and putting her little uh, her little prize in her handbag.
1: Yeah, and it's just so great, you know, again, our, our love for Hughes. Well, and she
0: just, she just looks so radiant.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's just, you just get, she, it shines through just the feeling of Having a man be interested yeah. in her—I mean, that never happens to her in her daily life. It, you mm-hmm. know, in her position, there's she doesn't come into contact with anybody well, that could. And express I mean, an and I, her. I don't
0: believe she's permitted. I don't. Right. You know, from what I understand, it's not permitted for any female member of staff to have a relationship.
1: Right, uh, right. I
0: assume it goes the same for men, but you know, the effects are less obvious if things go awry.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, we have Matthew and Mary still talking in the library, and Matthew informs Mary that the entail can only be broken by a private bill in Parliament. Yes. Which would only pass if the estate was in danger. Yes. So if there was no money tied up in the estate, then they could break the entail. But, I mean, that's obviously yeah. not the case. But it and- would, it would,
1: a special act of Parliament would have to be made. I actually looked into private bills a little bit. Um, which they were used for things like this. Also, that was the only way to get a divorce for a long time, and oh. it was for there to be a private bill in Parliament. And again, according to Wikipedia, they're only ever used anymore to allow people to marry who would otherwise be too closely related to get married. Which, Ew!
0: Yeah. Like, who wants to do that? And
1: who's who are the members of Parliament that are voting for that? I want to know. <laughs> um, so yes, and Mary is bitchy, Matthew is nice. Will they or won't they? That is indeed the burning question. We're at question. the halfway
0: point here, come on! Yeah,
1: time to uh, will or won't, but...
0: <laughs> but they obstinately refuse. They're in no hurry. Uh, but anyway, uh, Mary has rung for Carson yes. at this point. And he comes back and Matthew says goodnight and asks Carson how the dowager countess is. And Carson says, you know, well, she certainly isn't fine. She did not get off well. <laughs> yeah. And Matthew apologizes for being an inconvenience to everyone and disrupting their lives, which Carson appreciates, which is a nice little scene. Yeah.
1: yeah. Nothing, nothing too extraordinary. Yeah. Well, uh, again, uh, Matthew also not as evil as he could be. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. So we've got Mrs. Hughes coming back from her day off. Uh, You know, O'Brien is bitching as she has been all day. William's all upset about everything.
0: Bates actually asks how her evening was. Yes. Being a a stand-up
1: dude. He is, yes. (laughs) Being a stand-up and then occasionally a fall-over dude. (laughs) Um, uh, Mrs. Hughes, uh, you know, says goodnight.
0: Well, she tells Bates that... The others are coming in behind her, so maybe right. she was aware of their spiry
1: that's possible,
0: but she says Bates can can lock up once everybody else has come in behind her. And so they come in, and Thomas is being all snarky about her you know, boyfriend yeah, okay. and asking O'Brien Fancy if she... Fancy man. Yeah. She asks, he asks O'Brien if she fancies a promotion. Mm-hmm. And O'Brien says if Mrs. Hughes has a boyfriend, then she is a giraffe. So this is O'Brien comparing herself to two pulchritudinously <laughs> challenged animals. Yes. Yeah, again... Is she a giraffe? <laughs> she does have a long neck. Yeah. Um, anyway, and Daisy tries to join in the snarkery yes. about um, Mrs. Hughes, and Bates Bates sasses her and tells her not to be nasty. Yes.
1: He says, don't be nasty. It doesn't suit you. Uh, which, by the way, you know what does suit Daisy, in my opinion? That hat. Oh. <laughs> I'm a big fan.
0: Tom's a big fan of Daisy's awkward kitchen maid. Getting yeah. to leave the house like it, once
1: every two years it's ensemble. Such a, it's such a great, low-class, cheap flowers.
0: Well, like, it isn't, doesn't fit her. Yeah. It was clearly <laughs> made for somebody with a head, like, three sizes bigger.
1: But yeah, she just found that hat. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, big fan.
0: Anyway, so then we cut to Bates looking in on William, who is praying yeah on his knees by his bedside but william has anticipated mr bates's sort of tomfoolery and tells mr bates he just wants to be left alone yeah Uh, thomas somehow has uh transported himself (laughs) to immediately outside of william's door yeah and he just like this is the dumbest scene that has been on this show to date i don't know why it's in here it is yeah. just so he's and he just is talking to base like how could he expect to you know to win over a champion, and I'm like a champion of what like a champion of failing to blackmail people <laughs> so you take it out on other footmen like
1: yeah. Like, all your plans so far have been, like, to get Bates fired, to blackmail the Duke of Crowborough. like and nothing- none of it—no. Yeah.
0: Not a single one has worked out. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're more attractive, and- but you don't even have sex with women. Like, yeah. you're a champion yeah. of like, what?
1: Your long-term plan with Daisy has some serious flaws mm-hmm. in
0: it. Anyway, Bates grabs him by the shirt and slams him against the door mm-hmm. and tells Thomas that if he doesn't lay off William, he is going to punch his shining teeth into the back of his throat, yes. which I call shenanigans. Bates <laughs> does not have the stability or the mobility.
1: Well, he does not. You, you got to have a plant leg. Yeah, to and really he doesn't. Power.
0: And Thomas informs Mr. Bates that he is not frightened of him, as well. He should not be. Like I'm like,
1: <laughs> like I feel like, like. Look, Thomas could be a sportsman. He could, <laughs> <laughs> Bates could not.
0: I mean, you know, to me, look. If I was Mr. Bates, what I would do in this situation is just go to Carson and be like, yeah. look. This is what's going on. It needs to stop.
1: You know, Carson... Yeah, although I... I mean, I sort of feel like from Carson's perspective and I have no idea whether this is accurate or not but I just sort of feel like In that position, you're going to try and let things slide Uh anytime you can. Because you can't be micromanaging everybody's little It's true. Once again,
0: in my experiences in retail, this is 100% true. Yeah. Anyway, so let's not talk about that scene anymore. (laughs) I feel like we've really talked about it way more than it needed to be talked about. All right. We cut to uh, Mrs. Hughes pondering alone in her room. The various life choices that may or may not be available
1: to her yeah. now. This is some of the most distilled, staring wistfully into the middle distance mm-hmm. that that we've had. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. very good. <laughs> then uh, we've got guess what, Mrs. Patmore yelling at Daisy.
0: Take a shot, everyone.
1: <laughs> um, O'Brien is uh, complaining that she once again has to dress the girls
0: because um, Anna's still sick.
1: Yeah, and she lets on th- about the secret that's safe with her. <laughs> that uh, her and Thomas know something about Lady Mary.
0: Which, I assume they're talking about Mr. Pamuk. Right. Which I don't quite understand. Well...
1: And they don't even have a plan. Like, they make it clear in the scene that I, they have no idea what they're going to do. It's just a conspiracy to be well, named later.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't understand what information they're talking about. If the information they're talking about is the information I think they're talking about, like, how they got it. Yeah, so that hasn't been made clear yeah. to me. Yeah. Thomas goes into the kitchen and he immediately lays into William and says, what do you look like? do up your buttons. The buttons on William's waistcoat have not been done up because he's right. downstairs still.
1: Yeah. And, uh, it's, and it's a situation where, where Thomas has has caught him off. Like, you know, he's got to be in full uniform and, as and we established with the ripped seam in a previous episode. And
0: technically, well, uh, Thomas, as first footman, has the authority mm-hmm. over William to tell him to do yeah. stuff. And
1: he doesn't just say, what do you like? He says, Daisy, what does he like? And what? she
0: doesn't... Daisy's very non committal in her role as sort of Auxiliary bully in this whole episode. Right. Because she never actually directly right. says anything mean, but she always goes along with whatever Thomas says. So she tells William, go on then. So he does up his buttons. Yes.
1: And we, like, after her saying go on then, and he starts to do up his buttons, and we then, I counted, we get 10 separate reaction shots of all the people in the room of William, of Thomas, of Daisy, of Gwen of uh, somebody in the hall somebody in Mrs. the hall, Hughes. Mrs. Hughes like we just get all these shots and it's actually very well done like each little shot of each person's expression sort of adds a little bit
0: to they the could scene. really do with more scenes like that yeah. in this show and yeah. make our recaps so much shorter
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, yeah, without any words, we all see exactly what everybody present thinks of the situation. Then Gwen uh, arrives in Sybil's room. She's got a message uh, for Sybil, uh, who, who, by the way, oh, that's right. Gwen, when she gets up there, O'Brien is in the room. Boo! uh, And Gwen tells O'Brien that there's a message for her just as a trick to get O'Brien to leave because she hates her. (laughs) And uh, Sybil agrees and calls O'Brien an odious woman.
0: Yes. Thank you. Can you somehow get your mother on board with this?
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, O'Brien's been complaining about having to to take care of the ladies. What have the ladies thought about all this?
0: Like, come on. I hate Edith. But having (laughs) O'Brien dress her is too severe a punishment (laughs) for Edith.
1: Yeah. But Gwen has gotten an interview um, <gasps> for a secretarial position. OMG! Yeah. Um, so she's not sure how she's going to find the time to get to it. But Sybil says, oh, you can be sick. We haven't seen Anna for days, and, and you can just miss a few hours.
0: So Gwen's a little unsure, but she's you know she's going to go for it. She's yeah. going to chase her dream.
1: Yes, and Sybil is one hundred percent in favor of and, and pushing this this whole thing.
0: And so then Mary is walking with Lord Grantham and Pharaoh again, and she wants to know why he never sticks up for her. Which good question, Mary. <laughs> yeah, really good question. He says that she is his eldest daughter and he loves her, which is hard for an Englishman to say. Right. Which I want to know: is it hard because you're English or because she's not a boy?
1: Or is it is it hard because you don't actually love her? Is that kind of what? With-
0: <laughs> Inquiring minds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, he blabs just, about. He just being-
1: goes into the same animatronic president speech mm-hmm. about.
0: I'm a part of a dynasty, and I'm a custodian, and blah, 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 and I don't have any money. So this is all idiotic, but he does tell her she should just marry Matthew. Right. And she says she won't, because she is stubborn and melodramatic.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, she just says that. It's like, you could you could just, just marry him.
0: And she says she would never marry any man she was told to. And she wishes she wasn't stubborn, but she is. To which I'm like, hey, guess what? Shut up.
1: Yeah. And then... And it's just a sort of a sloppy moment here with the editing or whatever. Because at this point, apparently, uh, she's just teleported across the estate. Because suddenly Lord Grantham is gone.
0: She's, she's just looking very sad. She's like one pocket of stones away from pulling a Virginia
1: Woolf here. <laughs> I mean, the river's
0: yeah. right there. It's halfway done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
0: But she's just all dramatically turning around and I think it was a mistake editing-wise. No, I
1: think so, too. I feel like there was supposed to be a, a few lines in there of Lord Grantham saying, well, I'm off. Yeah. Or, or something.
0: I mean, anything. Yeah. Any, any, for any reason for him to not be there.
1: <laughs> yeah. So then uh we're we've got Branson uh, driving Sybil. Driving Miss Sybil. Uh, driving Miss Sybil. I believe the, driving to the dressmaker. Driving to Ripon. Driving to Rippen, yes. To get her
0: dress made by Miss Miss Swan or Madame Swan. I can't remember which
1: one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh,
0: anyway, Swan is the name of the dressmaker.
1: Yes. But he asks if she supports women's rights. Uh, because he is very political and he brought pamphlets.
0: Oh, college boyfriend. <laughs>
1: That is exactly Branson.
0: And uh, so he informs her that he's not always going to be a chauffeur, which I am skeptical about. Yeah,
1: but uh Look, he's...
0: if you're political, you shouldn't have to just say, hey, I'm political, you know? <laughs> like, you should be doing political stuff. He,
1: he is. He brought those pamphlets.
0: What's he doing, occupying their car?
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, he's he, he kind of is. He, <laughs> you know, what with Sybil and the pamphlets... Civil
0: um, in the pamphlets. <laughs> that is the name of my band.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, so now we've got a scene. Uh, Mosley and Mom arrive at uh, the actual hospital where uh, Doctor Clarkson, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Kelly Clarkson's grandfather.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, is uh, and the Dowager Countess is with him. Apparently, the tincture of silver and whatnot are not in fact working. His hands are still just as horrible looking. Mm-hmm. She's uh, baffled by it uh, and. Maggie Smith asks if, it was, uh, if it's erysipelas and Dr. Clarkson says, that is Mrs. Crawley's diagnosis. Yeah, the doctor
0: is very clear to be like, listen, I know that there's like this epic bitch fight going down every day. And yeah. I just want you to know that I am merely a chauvinistic observer.
1: Yes. And Maggie Smith instantly and correctly identifies that he does not, in fact, have erysipelas, uh, but has been helping his father, uh... Grub out
0: the old Rue bush. Roo
1: bush or hedge or something. Rue hedge. Yes. Uh, and what he has is a Rue allergy, that if he just wears gardening gloves, it'll be gone within a, a week or so.
0: Which, why are you wearing gardening gloves in the first floor?
1: That, I mean, you do serve tea with those hands. Yeah, Might like... A, well, he didn't want to look like a gardening footman. <laughs>
0: Anyway, Maggie Smith is so awesome in this scene, and she leaves and has the biggest smile on her face. That is,
1: I believe the term is a shit-eating grin.
0: Oh, God. She's so happy. Mom, obviously, very sad. (laughs) Yeah. She she may have won a battle, but the war is far from over.
1: Yeah, and she just, like, she does not have a leg to stand on. Mm -hmm. Just got completely... (laughs)
0: Tuned, <laughs> Yes. I believe is the technical term. I
1: think you're right. So uh, we've got uh, Matthew and Lord Grantham. They're often some kind of like...
0: They're in the cottages. Matthew yeah. has suggested that they restore some of the cottages mm. on the estate mm. right to the tenants. Yes. Not the cousins. <laughs> right. So they're like watching some dude do all the work that they have <laughs> commissioned.
1: Right. You and, know, uh,
0: as aristocrats tend to do. Yes,
1: they they talk about the future of it. Matt Matthew says that he's starting to feel like he does see a future for himself there, and that he was he must have seemed like an ungrateful prig
0: when he first arrived, which you still seem like one. Oh, right. I mean, but again, <laughs> from one ungrateful prig to another, <laughs> uh, it's a very heartwarming scene of bonding. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Lord Grantham was afraid of change, and Matthew says, oh, if we don't change, we die, which means that Julian Fellows was obviously catching up on his Neil Gaiman when he was <laughs> writing this. And Matthew says that in the face of change, they can just comfort themselves that Downton will survive, which seems like a pretty optimistic view of yeah, the future to right. me,
1: like, personally. You sure about that? Yeah.
0: Really? Anyway, seems like a dumb thing to put your faith in. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, you know particularly religious or anything but this is one of those rare situations where like really you're putting your faith in a building why not try god
1: <laughs> there's there's the thought
0: he's eternal and all-knowing
1: yeah now yeah.
0: daisy uh is down in the kitchen continuing to pine for thomas uh, like the besotted young fourteen-year-old that she is, yes. telling Mrs. Patmore how he's so great and he's done so much, and she could never deserve him. And Mrs. Patmore tries really hard <laughs> to explain to her that he's gay. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, she's saying he's not the boy for you. You're not the girl for him.
1: She's- He's not a ladies' man. And
0: Daisy's like, oh, you know, that's a comfort. But, like, (laughs) I mean, in the sense that I guess that he's, you know... He's uh, not a
1: a player among the ladies.
0: And uh, Mrs. Petmore tries again to tell her that he's a troubled soul. (laughs) But Daisy... In her, you know, stunted Yorkshire upbringing has not been properly schooled on the gay slang (laughs) of the early 1900s. So Mrs. Patmore just basically throws her hands up and is like, well, I have tried and tried. Troubled soul like Heathcliff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, Daisy's dumb. cut to the girls being dressed in their room uh sybil is complaining about her corset being too tight and asks if when anna is finished dressing edith if she will loosen her corset edith calls sybil fat basically and says this is the beginning of the slippery slope sybil insists that she's not gaining weight Mm -hmm. you know she just thinks it's ridiculous that women have to wear corsets at all and right. that, you know, men don't wear them and they look perfectly normal in their clothes. Mary comes in and says, oh, you know, some of them do. Yeah, uh, And then sweet burn on men. Yeah. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> uh, so then Edith tells Mary not to encourage Sybil because uh, before she knows it, she'll be going on about the vote. And, and
1: Sybil uh, does, is, in fact, happy to go on about the vote.
0: She is for the vote. And is yes. uh, it Sybil or Mary who asks Anna?
1: I think it's Mary. I think I think what we okay. have then is that, that Edith just like sort of bitches about it. Yeah. And then Mary asks Anna. Yeah,
0: well, Edith is bitching about the women who are being force-fed semolina. Mm-hmm. And Mary asks Anna as a way of both drawing... Anna into an awkward situation and diffusing the awkward situation. Yes. It's a very British move. Uh, what what Anna thinks about the, the vote. Yes. And Anna does not express a direct opinion because she also knows how to play this game. Yeah. She just says that she thinks that those women are very brave. Yeah. Uh, and I love Anna because yeah. you can tell that she's totally for the vote.
1: Yeah, but it's not her place to get in an argument with any of the sisters. Yeah. So just just nailed so that So she
0: just says they're very yeah. brave. And they were very brave as we're about to learn with our head researcher Tom <laughs> Schneider in our segment Tom Repeats History.
1: All right. Yeah, so, uh, our subject today is women's suffrage, uh, specifically women's suffrage in Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, women were actually technically not officially dis- disenfranchised until uh, the Reform Act of 1832. Uh, basically before that they were informally disenfranchised because only people with property could vote and they never happened to have any property.
0: Funny how that works out. Yes,
1: uh, but when the vote was expanded in 1832 it was Expanded specifically to men, not to women. The movement for women's suffrage sort of, you know, there were people agitating for it. I mean, even really as far back as 1818, John Stuart Mill uh, had expressed his uh, support of it. Um, but as an organized movement, it didn't really get started until about the 1870s. Uh, and there were uh, a couple organizations that that were the first big nationwide groups. One was the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies, uh, which was the more moderate one. And the other was the Women's Social and Political Union, which was the more militant one. Uh, one thing to note here is that the term suffragettes, uh, is actually not a generic term for supporting women's right to vote. Uh, that would be suffragists, mm-hmm. is anybody that supports that. Suffragettes are specifically militant That's interesting,
0: because I had heard before that suffragist was the more mainstream term. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is only true in America, but I had heard that suffragette was a derogatory term. Hmm. Um, which, I, you know, if it was the militant term, it makes sense that it would have been kind of perverted To be demeaning But anyway, that's very interesting
1: Yes, all information per Wikipedia as always Um, The head of the uh, National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies The moderate one Was uh, Millicent Fawcett Who actually has a little bit of a connection To a previous Tom Repeats history Uh, She was sent to investigate the concentration camps That were set up by the British uh, During the Boer War Oh, Um, She was sent Because she was a supporter of the current government and so everybody thought she'd go and sort of cover things up. But in fact, she came back and reported that, yeah, the concentration camps were horrible, mm-hmm. as you might expect.
0: Gee. Like, has <laughs> anybody ever gone to report on a concentration camp and come back and be like, wow, it's really nice. They're getting, a you know, they're getting great food. They're taking, you know, archery and crafting lessons.
1: Yeah. Now that I've handed my report, I'm headed back to that concentration <laughs> camp.
0: <laughs> like, if – here's a hint. If people are being rounded up into camps against their will, do you really need somebody to go investigate them?
1: Yeah. But, yeah, she was the, the moderate face of uh, women's suffrage. Emmeline Pankhurst was the head of the militant group. She, she was really sort of the, the inventor of militant uh, suffragettism worldwide. She was a big influence on Alice Paul.
0: Who is my favorite feminist, yes. for those of
1: you keeping score. She was, was leading, uh, a leading suffragette in America. So she really started a lot of the the very uh, militant tactics. And, uh, of course, so at this point, many women were were being imprisoned Mm -hmm. for the various tactics that they were, you know, I mean, there were including, like, bombs at times, just all sorts of... No, I mean,
0: and I mean, they were very serious in Britain. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, (laughs) I have more respect for the the women... Suffragists and suffrage. I specifically, I guess, the suffragettes in right. Britain than I do for the American revolutionaries. Yeah, quite frankly. They, so hey, they were point one for, to our British, our British listeners.
1: Yeah, there were uh, you know bombs and uh, all sorts of things. They they burned down Lloyd George's house.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: That's actually a, also from a previous uh, episode. <laughs> Lloyd George, It's
0: all connected. Yes,
1: it is. Uh but yeah, burned down his house and and he was believed to be a supporter. Yeah, I was of just going to ask cuz it
0: seems like if he but was he advocating was, for insurance, wouldn't he? Right, he
1: was a liberal but Did he like renege on was a was promise? One, well, it was one of those situations like how uh, particularly say 5 to 10 years ago if you were a supporter of gay rights, you might be particularly mad at Democrats who okay. ought to be on your side but weren't, you know, stepping up to the plate. I think it was that sort of situation. So and and then uh, so when they were in jail, uh, they would go on hunger strikes. And mm-hmm. um, this is where we get to what they were talking about in this episode: how when they went on these hunger strikes, they would get force fed, which was
0: horrible,
1: horribly awful.
0: I've seen it in a movie. Uh, for those of you who are interested, it is called Iron Jawed Angels. I give it about two and a half stars. Yeah, but it's very instructive. But I mean, it's just it is one of the most horrific things. And I mean, I saw the cleaned up Hollywood version of yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, they just, you know, they they would strap the women down, force their jaws open, and, you know, they would first, you know, they would try to shove it in with a spoon. And when that failed, they would actually insert a tube,
1: you
0: know, down into their esophagus and pump semolina into their throats. Yeah. Frequently, obviously, which caused choking, vomiting.
1: Just, just horrible. So, so was, An-
0: yeah, this so, is, this is why Anna thinks these women are very brave.
1: Yes. Uh, one example, a uh, Lady Lytton, who was, uh, leading suffragette, she actually, uh, felt that because of her status and that in general the rich women who were being imprisoned were being treated better, mm-hmm. she went in disguise as a low-class seamstress mm-hmm. named, I believe, like she, her, she went by Jane, Jane Wharton, mm-hmm. I think she dressed up like all ugly got herself like cheap clothes and gave herself a really had ugly a Daisy haircut. hat yeah essentially uh and got herself imprisoned as jane mm-hmm. and came out and wrote a book about her treatment wow which if if you actually you go on her wikipedia article and you read some of the articles of what she wrote about being force-fed if you want to feel horrible um, so
0: look up uh the erysipelas pictures <laughs> and read this for your weekly dose of feeling just awful
1: yeah So obviously, uh, particularly with that book, but just in general, the force feeding was not giving the government a good image. Uh, So they came up with what they thought was a brilliant plan, which was they passed an act so that when women were going on hunger strikes, when it got to the point where they were on the point of death, they would be released from prison. And as soon as they got better, they could be arrested again. (laughs) So the idea was that. Once they were out of prison, then if they starved to death, they couldn't like it wouldn't be on the government's hands. And then once they got back, you know, and, and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. This was actually made things much worse. It was quickly called the Cat and Mouse Act because it was compared with how a cat would play with its prey, mm-hmm. and was just a complete disaster uh, for the for the government. And did
0: did women die as a result? Or um,
1: it, I I didn't see anything about women dying of hunger strikes. Directly, uh, however, uh, that does uh, bring me to Emily Davison, who, in fact, actually tried to kill herself in prison. She felt that if a woman died in prison, that it would be right, a big right. uh, blow. Uh, she she tried to kill herself in prison, failed, was later released from prison, and at the uh, the Epsom Derby, which is not only it's the biggest horse race in Britain and also one of the biggest social events mm-hmm. of the year. Yeah, I actually. Um, mm-hmm. She ran out onto the course uh and was trampled by the king's horse and it's It's not entirely clear whether she was trying to kill herself or just you know make a scene and be noticed, mm-hmm. but she certainly was risking her life right if she, even if she wasn't intending to kill herself just because she knew that was a place where she could you know the king was there watching every all the the right you know, everybody was watching and she knew it was a chance to, to get her point across and yeah. And, and, you know, and she died for it. Um, it's actually, it, it is, you can go see it on, uh, on YouTube. It was filmed.
0: Oh my God. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's very like grainy, low quality film. Sure. You know, it's, it's hard to see exactly what happens, but you, you can see it for yourself. And one other just uh, militant active note that I, I liked was a uh, Mary Richardson, who went into the National Gallery and hacked up a, uh, a portrait of Venus mm-hmm. with an axe, uh, by Velasquez, uh, saying that she was maiming the woman, uh, in the picture just as the government was maiming Emmeline Pankhurst with the force feeding. Uh huh. And, um, so that was... You know another like they were they were just very savvy, too,
0: no, I mean, they sound like they were well organized, yeah, they knew how to strike and also to use their ability to kind of um, get into certain places undetected, yeah, because obviously they're not voting because they're not respected, but they can use that lack of respect to their advantage by infiltrating. You know, these big events or these art museums and really making these big public statements. Yeah,
1: and that's actually, I forgot, I I meant to, I I believe it was Mary Richardson that uh, did this. It was either her or Emily Davison earlier in her life. uh, Snuck into Westminster and hid in a closet overnight, one night in November, because then it was the day of the census. And so on her census form, she would legally be allowed to write that her place of residence was the House of Commons. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, once World War I came along, the militant, uh, suffragettes stopped activity, uh-huh. activity. And they, I mean, it was really universal. The women's, the, the, the WSPU, you know, suspended mm-hmm. their activity. Uh, there was still, you know, some low-level campaigning and letter writing and that sort of thing going on, but they pretty much cut it out for the duration of World War One. And then in, in 1918, uh, towards the end of the war, women were granted partial right to vote, uh, if, if you were at least 30 and had a certain amount of property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was in 1928 that they were granted full equality to men uh, in voting.
0: So that's after American women were granted full equality, correct?
1: Yeah. They they got some voting rights before Americans did, but they got full voting rights at eight years, I think, after. I think it was 1920. I think 1920. you're correct. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was Tom Repeat's history. Excellent. Yep.
0: All right. Now back to uh, the <laughs> frivolous world of Downton Abbey. Yes. Yeah. So everyone is chatting after dinner that uh, Matthew has inspired this repair of the cottages, and everybody is just thrilled. Yeah,
1: we start, uh, up, we start off the scene with just a shot from over Mary's shoulder, and it's like Mary Crawley, the girl with the pearl yes. earring.
0: she would have been a much better choice than Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> anyway, Mary not very good at hiding her feelings, abruptly stands up and announces that she's not feeling well is going to go to her room. Yeah. Uh, Mcgee follows her out to go bother her. (laughs) And then we have this really pretty amazing scene in Mary's room. Yeah. Where Mary is just weeping on her bed and Mcgee comes in and, you know, Mary's just saying, you know, you heard him, Matthew this, Matthew that, Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. I was like, now you know how Edith feels. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
1: So apparently, despite Lord Grantham's noble self-sacrifice in saying "You're my darling daughter, and I love you," she just wasn't convinced. Yeah, for somehow. some reason.
0: No. Uh, anyway, so she's just flipping out about how he's finally got the son that he had longed for. Yeah, and you know, and then Mary turns on Mcgee. And mm-hmm. says, you know, what are you talking about? He loves me. You can't even, you know, stand aside of me. Which we don't really have, like, textual evidence for. But, you know. Well, she she's... did
1: say she'd hate her forever. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <So>. um. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Scratch that last part. <laughs> um. <laughs> but anyway, but Mary, uh, she just has this, like, heart-rending little yeah. monologue where she says, you know, why shouldn't? McGee hate her. She took a lover with no thought of marriage. This is where I'm glad we have the subtitles because yeah. she says, "And a Turk, think of that." Oh my dear, like yeah. as she like buries her face in her hands, yeah. and she's like one asp away from pulling <laughs> a total Cleopatra here.
1: Yeah, and and you know I don't want to. It is a really great scene. The one thing that that did kind of bother me about it is, and, and this comes up all the time. Didn't Lord Grantham have a son before? Wasn't it that Patrick guy that died on the Titanic? No,
0: that was his cousin. I know,
1: but a son in the same way that Matthew is his son.
0: Well, I mean, McGee says, I believe in the second episode, that even though Patrick was the heir, he didn't. He was never invited to come live at Downton.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: And, you know, I mean. You know what Moreover, grace? Patrick's father was still living. Yeah. And it's really hard to yeah. like move in. No,
1: that's, that's a very good and point. be the surrogate right. dad when right. the
0: biological dad is still alive. So right. Ma- you know, Matthew's lost his dad. It, it, it's just a perfect storm All right. for both of them. Yeah. So
1: that's fair. Okay.
0: Uh, anyway, before McGee leaves, she tells Mary not to quarrel with Matthew. Mary uh, melodramatic and stubborn as ever asks <laughs> yes. why ever she shouldn't. And McGee <laughs> tells her because you may need him one day. And Mary is like, Oh, I see. So when I've ruined myself, I can still have a powerful protector to hide behind. And McGee <laughs> is like, Yeah, this is Edwardian England, you <laughs> dumb nut.
1: Right. That's like, thank you for saying out loud what I was attempting to imply.
0: Yeah. Anyway, we got to, to the the servants' dining hall again, and William is playing a melancholy tune. Uh, fun fact: the character of William is based on Morrissey's grandfather. Uh, <laughs> Play that
1: gloomy music, wife.
0: <laughs> Mrs. Hughes comes in and she tells William not to let Thomas get him down. You know he's just jealous because everybody likes William better than him, which is true. But Mrs. Hughes is also overlooking the fact that Thomas is pure. Fucking evil. I mean, <laughs> right. even if William wasn't, you know, reacting, Thomas would still be a jerk to him. Yeah. William finally says what Missus Hughes has been fishing for all episode, <laughs> which is that she's a very kind woman, and he doesn't know how the house would run without her. Yes. And uh, we get a nice shot of Missus Hughes framed in the doorway, surveying all she sees <laughs> in her domain. Yeah. Again probably considering the various life choices that are open to her at this point in time. Yeah. Um, and,
1: uh, well, I mean, William's too dumb to have been saying it to, uh, cause she wants to hear it. Yeah. He doesn't know she wants to hear He doesn't. That. It's, it's sincere. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all we at home all agree. It's
0: sincere and correct. Yes. Then we cut to a scene of Gwen, uh, reading a letter in the kitchen. I wonder what that's about.
1: Who can say? Not me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Sybil has her, Sybil's new frock has arrived um and she is very excited and kind of is, and Gwen is in the room with her right and Sybil's saying
0: oh is there anything more filling than a new frock and Gwen's like I really wouldn't know <laughs> yeah so Sybil kind of catches herself <laughs> yeah. a little bit she's like oh you'll have one too here I pulled this for you to wear to your interview and I'm like did you <laughs> I think that was just out and <laughs> yeah. you kind of felt like, like a jerk
1: oh I pulled
0: this dress because no because it's not at all gwen's color gwen as we've pointed out before is ginger and this dress is like a a purpley shade of red which is not going to look good on her
1: yeah yeah
0: but uh we find out that gwen is not going to her interview because her appointment has been canceled uh the position has been given to someone more suited for the post and better qualified yeah and uh gwen's very sad and she kind of correctly says that there's never going to be anyone less suited for the post or less qualified than she is. I'm
1: sure there are people qual- uh, that, are, that are applying without having taken that whole correspondence course. Yeah,
0: Mrs. Patmore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Daisy? Daisy'd be terrible.
0: Yeah. Uh, but Sybil says they won't give up and nobody hits the bullseye with the first arrow, which, yeah. you know, which is true, but it's like how many bullseyes have you actually had to try to hit? In your life. Uh, you know. I mean, I, I know. I'm sorry. Right. I'm being very hard on Sybil. But your tales of uh, the force feeding and the trampling of horses <laughs> has made me see how facile and kind of insulting her uh, aspirations to suffrage are.
1: Well, yeah. But that's not her fault. That is Julian Fellow's fault. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mrs. Hughes is in her uh, parlor. Her parlor. Yes. Carson barges in To tell her that he has Put out the Rundle candlesticks Because that's really Important for her to know Apparently
0: I mean isn't he The only one who Handles them or
1: I Look He he just knows she has A thing about the Rundle candlesticks (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so he You know She is Uninterested and she, she is finally, you know, Carson is there, and she he is the one person that she can talk to. And so she spills the whole story about Joe Burns, and it's very touching.
0: And it's overplayed of, of footage of her going back to see Joe Burns yes. at the pub and turning him down. And again, I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah Mrs. Hughes just makes me cry every time yeah. because it's just a really beautiful story because yeah. she says you know, I'm not that, that farm girl yeah. anymore. Well, and-, and she
1: makes it clear, because at the beginning, Carson's like, she says that she had finally met this guy again, and he's like, and he was red-faced and fat, and, and you couldn't stand him anymore. And can
0: we get back to the Rundle candlesticks, for <laughs> God's sake?
1: Right. And she says, no. Oh, you know, he was his face was a bit red, and his suit was a bit tight, but... In the ways that matter, he hadn't changed. Yeah. And it's so nice. It
0: is just the nicest thing. Yeah. And I think that's why, despite the questionable class politics, we like Downton Abbey. Yeah. Because sometimes it's just nice to see <laughs> nice people being nice. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so she tells Carson the whole story. And, you know, he is he's kind of, you know, worried that she is going to leave then. Right. And Anna interrupts and she apologizes. But uh, she says that Mrs. Patmore is on the rampage. <laughs> She is, in fact, for we can hear the telltale <laughs> in the background. Yeah. Uh, and uh Mrs. Hughes gets a nice zinger in and she looks at Mr. Carson and says, leave Downton. When would I ever find the time? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's all. And that's the end of that plot.
1: Yeah. Well, and I will say. You know, we glossed over a little bit just because it's a glossed over a little bit in the show or, or understood in mm-hmm. the show. But her reasoning for it is basically that is basically that she couldn't go live on a farm. Yeah, that's what she would have to do if she wanted to marry this guy. She would have to give up her position and and live on a farm. And however happy he would make her, mm-hmm. and it's clear that he would he would be able to make her yeah, happy this to is, an extent. It's,
0: it's not a cut and dry decision for her,
1: right? But that she just can't go back to the farm. And- no, I
0: mean, you know, and she's, she's worked hard. And she says, you know, she came to Downton as head housemaid. Mm-hmm. So she used to have Anna's position.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, she did well. And, you know, she worked her way up yeah. from head housemaid to housekeeper. Yeah, And, you know, that's, that is really, for the lower classes probably the most prestigious thing you can do. Yeah. The only way it could be more prestigious is if she were the housekeeper for a Marcus or a Duke.
1: Right. Um, right.
0: you know, so, I mean, you yeah. know, she's, she's really done as well for herself as she possibly could have. Mm-hmm. And going back to a farm would be a demotion. Yeah. And also just a lot more physical labor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean,
0: you know, and she's not a young woman.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And he's not a young man. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. So then, uh, everybody's, oh, the, the upper classes are all upstairs. They're waiting for Sybil and her new frock mm-hmm. so they can go to dinner.
0: And then everybody just starts sniping about Mrs. Patmore. Yeah. Like, apropos of nothing.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's mainly just that Maggie Smith sees some openings to fire off some lines about the cooking at Downton. Yeah. And just can't help herself. Which
0: I'm like, who's your cook? Yeah. Like, there's no way that the Dowager Cottage has a better cook than the Grand Estate.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: I'll be the first to say that I have my own reservations about Mrs. (laughs) Patmore's cooking. Right. Uh, But, I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, Anyway... We see Sybil getting ready with, uh, with Anna. She actually does tie on a bandeau. Ah, yes. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's this beautiful blue top. So she runs into the, the sitting room where everyone is waiting and everybody just is shocked. Yeah. Because Sybil is wearing Pants. 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 Whoa. Yeah, she's wearing pants. Yeah. Pants that are, in fact, a copy of a Paul Poirot design. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And so everybody is just flabbergasted and yes. flummoxed. And Branson is creepily spying <laughs> from the outside yeah. window. His
1: head just leans into the window. And
0: I'm like, what were you even doing there? No, and like, how do you even know which window is
1: the window? <laughs> right. We've seen the outside, it's got hundreds of windows. Uh, Anyway. And and also, you know they can see out the window. What are you going to say if anybody looks out and sees you? Yeah. You know, like, I was just out seeing if any of your shrubbery needed a ride.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Make way for Branson. (laughs) So that's uh, episode four of series one. It seems like some things are finally starting to happen. Indeed. Uh, So now is the time on Up Yours Downstairs. When we give out the Abby Awards. hooray! So first, the Gibson Girl Award for this episode. We're actually going to give it to the Dowager Countess. Yes, She's indeed. looking fine Yeah. in this episode, uh, particularly in her black and pink ensemble mm-hmm. for her confrontation with the swivel chair. <laughs> very, very nice. Very well coordinated, which I appreciate. I know Matchy Matchy is not really cool at this point yeah but i oh i think that matchy matchy never goes out of style oh, right. so stick that in your pipe and smoke it fuck girls <laughs> and uh the violet dress that violet is wearing uh-huh. in the doctor's office is really lovely mm-hmm. yeah she just she really knocks out of the park her her hats are large but pretty tasteful
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh in this episode so yeah so she gets the the gibson girl award all right best evasion of a question
1: yes best evasion of a question
0: matthew evades a question at the fairgrounds when Mary asks if Karani came to see him about the great matter. That's true. And he simply says nothing.
1: mm mm-hmm. um, Yeah, I, uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Only one evasion this week that can't... You know what, though? People were really forthright this episode. Yeah,
1: that's true. They were much
0: more forthright than they generally are. Yeah, yeah. Everybody kind of had to ask what they want. Yeah. Uh, or Julian Fellows uh, evaded having to show us any of what was actually said yeah. during Mrs. Hughes's rejection of Joe Burns' That's true. Uh, proposal. Yeah,
1: she uh, she didn't exactly evade the proposal of marriage, but... Uh, she did
0: decline it.
1: She did decline it. That
0: would be it. best declension. Uh,
1: you're right. Um,
0: <sighs> Mrs. Hughes never addresses the matter of the Rundle candlesticks.
1: <laughs> That's
0: she true. Weasel, she weasels her way out of that one.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, and Anna... Anna evaded uh, expressing an opinion about the suffragists.
1: That is true, and expertly so. That
0: You know that, what? Anna, yeah. Anna, you win Best Evasion this week. Absolutely. Also, you're just cute as a button. <laughs> yes. And finally, the Best Overbite Award uh, for the fourth week running goes to Edith.
1: Well, how about that? It's
0: pretty impressive. She had very little screen time in this episode. <laughs> she even beats out Cousin Isabel.
1: Wow, yeah, mm-hmm. no, you're right.
0: So now on to everyone's favorite, favorite, favorite award, <laughs> the Maggie Smith scale of Maggie Smiths. Yes.
1: And uh, I got to be honest, I'm leaning towards the full five this episode. Okay. I mean, we've got, one, her barging in on Lord Grantham, mm-hmm. claiming to be able to handle her. Two, the correct and instantaneous diagnosis of the rue allergy.
0: The going to Matthew about the entail directly.
1: That's right. We've got that handling the swivel chair with a plum.
0: She uh, she weasels out where Lord Grantham is from Carson, despite Mary's uh, best efforts to the contrary. Yes,
1: and she gets in some sweet digs at Mrs. Patmore. She sure does. I mean, it was a re- it was a it was a really right. solid episode.
0: Congratulations, Maggie Smith. Yeah. you have done an exemplary job in this episode and we're awarding you the full five maggie smiths that's right on a scale of five maggie smiths yeah
1: so throw away your oscars
0: (laughs) you you've done it you've reached the apex of your career
1: yes five maggie smiths we
0: would love to have you for dinner (laughs) i promise that my cooking is more precisely timed than mrs patmore's (laughs) so i think that about does it for this episode i think Uh, you're right Please don't forget to uh, enter the cousin of the week contest by correctly identifying the actors, their roles, and the production they appeared in for Masterpiece Classic. Also, uh, go ahead and donate to your local PBS affiliate because without yeah. them, nobody would even know what Downton Abbey was. Sure,
1: do that. Or if you're in Britain, I guess just pay your taxes. Is that how it works? Uh, I don't. I don't really know. Yeah, um, write
0: write a nice note to ITV.
1: <laughs> yeah. Go um, visit
0: Julian Fellows at his estate in person.
1: Yeah, and just just shake his hand. Just shake his hand. He he may have you shot. But
0: then kick him in the shin, <laughs> just just for good measure. <laughs> uh, and remember, you can send those answers to up yours downstairs at gmail.com. or you can direct message us on Twitter at five Maggie Smiths. That's the number five Maggie Smiths. <laughs> Uh, And we will be back with you next week with more Laura Linney recaps and Abby awards. So until then, up up yours downstairs. downstairs.